This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. A passion to find racism in every corner of American education has now reached the abstract world of mathematics. In California, the State Instructional Quality Commission, which reports to the State Board of Education, was just asked to give its imprimatur to a manual entitled A Pathway to Equitable Math Instruction, Dismantling Racism in Mathematics Instruction. The manual finds racism when teachers ask students to give the right answer, when teachers ask students to show their work, when teachers say that math is objective, and more. All of this is reported by Williamson Evers in a just released op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Well, that op-ed had a policy impact when the commission met, they decided to withdraw this manual. So to get the inside story, I'm pleased to have with me today, Williamson Evers, a senior fellow at the Independent Institute in Oakland, California, here with me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Bill, for joining me. Thank you for having me, Paul. Well, Bill, are you a little surprised that your op-ed has had such an impact? I, I know from many years trying to improve education that it's very difficult to get change and to get such quick change is very gratifying. And it shows that they realize that they just could not stand up to things saying there's no correct answer, there's no right or wrong. And, these, and attacking objectivity and saying, if you <laughs> concentrated, uh, you know, focused on students' mistakes, that was white supremacist and this sort of thing. The underlying ideas in this manual, though, still remain in the curricular framework for mathematics. It's still proceeding. It's got a, a, another draft and set of comments uh, before this curricular commission. Uh, passes it on to the State Board of Education. Well, so um, tell me what specifically did you have, what was your primary objection to this manual? And, and, and what is this manual? Can you give us a, a little detail yeah. on just what this document is? I have read it, but I'd like to, it's, so, it's such a bore. <laughs> I'd, I'd well, like to have you summarize it for me. Well, it's interesting. These curricular frameworks have grown like Topsy. In the 1980s, the curricular framework in California was 20 pages. And I believe this is about 600 pages. <laughs> so it has, has two audiences, essentially teachers. Uh, so it's supposed to guide teachers in how they conduct classes. And the other audience has to do with teaching materials. So if you're uh, textbook publisher, teaching materials publisher, which could be electronic delivery of some sort. Uh, if you're a textbook adopting group at a school district, if in California's case, we have state adopted textbooks, which appear on a list and most districts choose their textbooks from that list. So this has a lot of influence. Uh, it's not like there's some police that go around <laughs> and check every classroom, but it's very, very influential and very important. Well, so I noticed in this manual that it said something about the Pythagorean theorem was known before Pythagoras was born. And so I thought, well, that's sort of interesting. Uh, I wonder where, 
who 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 gave the idea to him or who who knew about it but they didn't tell me anything they just said students should know that this existed yeah. before pythagoras so i couldn't get the point of all of that uh well i don't know if there's any major point i mean except perhaps that egyptians and babylonians used uh, this earlier and it was probably independently derived in the different places or maybe not you know this is all an empirical question i think the point of it is that it wasn't a greek right who is a white dead european male it might have been an asian or north african that was an early applier of the pythagorean theorem but I, I think the most important, you know, is it, is all, this racist I don't, I don't see why that, that it's I don't the see why it's, theorem. Is that a racist of, thing to be told? It's the Pythagorean theorem. <laughs> I, I think it's. I think it must be white supremacist. The point is that's the nickname for it. We don't have the name of the ancient Babylonian or the name of the ancient Egyptian, and so the the. The point here is really that the children should learn the Pythagorean theorem and how it fits into the architectonic discipline of geometry and not it, it's it's the value of the the, the the contribution is important because it's right because it's uh, valuable to mathematics it's not important because of its cultural origins. And we shouldn't care about it on account of its cultural origins. We should care about it because mathematics is a discipline that we want to know and that we can apply. Well, if you don't learn the theorem itself, yeah. you're going to be in trouble when a you're lot of to... trouble. <laughs> so, so, but now there, then there seems to have been some debate over whether or not calculus should be taught in high school. And how did that all come out in the commission's deliberations? Well, that is still that is still their policy. Uh, so you have sort of that divides into two parts. So the first part is they say there are no such thing as talents or gifts in math. There's nobody who is mathematically more able and is naturally better at it. Apparently, we're all MIT Caltech material. Well, I know my Einstein. son is a lot smarter in math than I am. <laughs> I, so I, I know we this all, is we a all falsehood. <laughs> I uh, know what you're saying. I mean, the thing is, uh, we all have come at this with various uh, natural abilities, just like in any other thing. And uh, people should be able to live up to their potential and succeed and put the effort in. And, and so they're, they want to block that. They want everybody lockstep through 11th grade. They don't want any advanced math classes in, in middle school or first years of high school. And so that also means that for colleges that have an informal rule kind of that uh, in admissions that you should, if, if it's available, you should be taking calculus in AB or BC calculus in your senior year, or maybe even earlier if you're you know advanced enough. That those students are not really gonna be able to do that. You're not gonna be able to take enough math in that 11th grade that California is gonna to allow to be an advanced year as well as senior year. You're not gonna be able to get up there fast enough. And so this is really unfortunate for the kids and it's you know, gonna maybe 
keep them from getting into good colleges. So is this basically saying there's not going to be any differentiation in math instruction in high school in California, that everybody's got to take until, the same until, math class? Until 11th grade. That's what it's saying. Well, is that really going to happen? I mean, I, I, I can't I think, imagine that happening. I think a lot of it will happen. So we had a different policy beginning in the late 1990s and running for a, another decade or two. And that was that we wanted everyone to try to get to algebra in eighth grade. And we got two thirds of the kids to algebra in eighth grade. And, and on their scores, proficient and above, we had uh, a six-fold increase with Blacks and uh, five-fold with Latinos and low-income students. So we had, you know, that kind of result, academic result in school reform is very, very unusual. And uh, so it was a big success. And then Common Core came in and wiped that out. And so it made it much more common to have algebra in high school, ninth grade. And we essentially lost all those gains of 15 years. Uh, and so now they're just officially saying it's evil <laughs> to, to uh, not have it as uh, algebra later on. If you do it, you're engaged in some sort of forced march, some sort of unwarranted rush if you're trying to have algebra in eighth grade, which by the way, Singapore and Taiwan and South Korea and all these high achieving countries, that's very commonplace for them to have that. That is the, the practice there. So, you know, our kids are gonna be competing in a world with kids that have this, they're ahead, they're doing better. They have the material under their belt. So I think this is not just California that we're ta talking about here in Boston. They've shut down uh, examinations for, for uh, schools uh, so that you can no longer have schools that uh, you have to have shown a certain level of accomplishment in order to, to attend them. And the New York City has done the same thing. And right. I think it's happening around the country. So is right. this- Exam uh, schools. Uh, uh, yeah, exam schools. So are we seeing- uh, a war on intelligence in the United States today? Well, I, I think we're, we're in some kind of uh, egalitarian frenzy. It used to be that uh, liberals would say, can we be equal and excellent too? That was a subtitle of a famous book. And, uh, you know, it was a challenge, but the, the excellent part seems to be being dropped. And uh, I think it's unfortunate because I think, you know, it's it, people should not be held back. People should be allowed to achieve and it's better for them and it's better for the whole society. Well, okay, so let me be the devil's advocate here and say, who cares about all of this stuff? Because we do have Silicon Valley. We do have these geniuses who generate incredible amounts of uh, new ideas and no other country in the world does this. I mean, Singapore and Taiwan and all these other right. places, they don't have the same kind of entrepreneurial, uh, the, they don't have the other factors that are necessary to, to create these industries that are driving the U.S. economy. So do we really need this? Well, I think, you know, it's a combination of things. We have a constitutional democracy with protections. We have private property rights. 
these are spaces in which you don't have to have the approval uh, always of a bureaucrat, a politician, a commissar, telling you whether you can advance a new idea, embody it in your business practices or in your writings or in your artistic endeavors or whatever. So we have that kind of space in a way that, say, communist ruled China doesn't have. Uh, and that's a huge advantage. But if we could also have people with more knowledge than people have now, think what they could do in that social space. And that's if, if we throw away that side of it, and or weaken the political freedoms and economic freedoms that we have, we'll just uh, sink backwards. But we are also recruiting from all over the world the best That's and right. brightest uh, people. And if you go to Silicon Valley, you see an awful lot of um, languages other than English spoken by very competent people who can also speak English. Uh, but they uh, but they are coming to the United States because we seem to have a shortage of the talent that uh, that we actually need to to uh, to move our country forward. I would have to completely agree with you, Paul. I mean, it's sort of an odd thing that companies in Silicon Valley and other businesses around the United States have to recruit all these mathematically talented kids who have also achieved in these foreign countries because American kids are not living up to their potential and are not being given good instruction. And, you know, so they're not equipped to handle the challenges that these companies uh, need them to be facing. But I somehow feel that the worst of the situation is that we don't have the teachers with the background and the knowledge to actually teach this. I mean, even if the curriculum allowed for, uh, advanced instruction, do we have the teachers there uh, to teach our math and science courses? We don't pay our math and science teachers any more than we pay any other teacher in the school. Uh, so given the fact that the otherwise society rewards people with extra money if they have skills in short supply, are schools ever gonna be able to educate kids at the level that you're talking about? Well, I think you have, again, an excellent point. We don't pay teachers based on productivity, marginal value productivity that we, we do in the rest of the society and economy. Uh, and we don't fire teachers that don't succeed in, ha in having their children learn. But I would also, on the pos positive side, on the optimistic side, say that in China, the people who teach elementary school math all, and haven't always gone to university and they may they they specialize in say math and science and another teacher specializes in humanities uh, but uh, Li Ping Ma has written gr greatly about this by specializing by having uh, studying very carefully the lessons they have deep understanding of the mathematics that's involved that American teachers often don't have now I don't think there's some intrinsic reason why American teachers couldn't have that. It's just that they don't. Well, should we have in our elementary schools a math teacher and uh, a, a teacher who teaches other classes? Well, I'm in favor of it. I don't think it's really ever been rigorously studied. Uh, Professor Wu at Berkeley was always an advocate of doing this. Uh, I just, you know, normally stands to reason that you want specialization, you want uh, 
people to you know practice their talent and get better at it and if you're trying to do too many things you're not going to be as good <laughs> they they i think the mentality that's gone on here is in the sense that the teacher in elementary school is an extension of the family and so if you have one teacher it's more like a mother or a father and uh so that you have that extension and i it's a psychological belief that people may have in America that may go back to romanticism and various things that are a bit of a leap from discussing the math curriculum, but are still there affecting it. Well, the Germans actually had the same teacher for the same child three years in a row. They don't, um, they think that moving from teacher to teacher is a bad idea for young children. And, uh, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that, that actually- My, my daughter, my daughter went to German American school in Menlo Park, right near where you are now. She had that exact thing. She got into Yale, so it, it works for some people. Yeah, if you have a good teacher- and That's right. If you have that a good for three years, you might learn a lot. Of course, if you have a bad teacher, it's another, another story. Yes, we, know, we, we know from their education research that a bad teacher is extremely deleterious. So you would not want to have a bad teacher for three years. So I'm also curious about the California way of deciding things. Is this is this uh, instructional commission- uh, uh, how, how many commissions do you have in California that get involved in doing things that have to do with the schools at the local level? Uh, is, this, is California just an unbelievably bureaucratized system? No, I think this, this and the names have changed, but this has been in place quite a long time in California. Um, so they, they, help pick textbooks that they they think they want they you know they give their approval to and they sometimes and they and they put out these frameworks that give guidance on what to teach and maybe sequences that seem to work better and some teaching practices that have been proven and so forth and sometimes if you go if you go back to the you know instructional if you go back to the framework of the late 1990s for math, it was extremely good. And it was, you know, overseen by Stanford and Berkeley math professors. And it was very, very high quality. So you are not opposed to the way in which California is making these decisions. You're critical of the decisions themselves. Right. How do they how do they appoint uh, people to these boards? Well, they're political appointments essentially. Uh, you know, it may not seem that on the surface, they may seem technical or political. So the state board is appointed by the governor and confirmed by the upper house of the legislature. And then the state board working with the elected state superintendent determines all these other lower bodies. Uh, the thing we have in California is we have overwhelming one party government. And we are also in the midst of this passion, enthusiasm, uh, whatever, for egalitarianism, for hypersensitivity about race, and, and all these various matters come together with this one party dominance. And things that were all right in the mid 1990s and 
2005 or whatever are now way out of kilter. Parents are not liking it, I might add. How do you know? Well, I, I talk to them and I monitor Facebook a lot and I watch the local news and read the local newspapers. And it's clear that there is upset about this. Well, I know, but most parents don't really know what's going on, do they? Aren't they just uh, just trying to survive from day to day and trying to decide whether they can get their kids back to school, period? I think, I think we found in the history of curriculum changes that parents don't really realize what's going on at the beginning. And it comes to hit them later when homework starts coming in, when assignments let the kid do some project. Of course, having video conferencing for your classes has brought a lot of attention to parents knowing what is really going on in the classroom. Anytime you do something like Common Core math or this uh, social justice math, it starts to show up in the homework. It starts to show up in the questions that the kids are asking the parents. And then they do come to the school board. So you, you think that actually uh, this issue is now going to uh, force this commission to step back from some of these uh, crazy notions that they put forward? Well, it's hard to know exactly what will happen because they, they've taken out the most egregious uh, neo-racist material. The, and the thing saying that there's no right answer and you know everybody should be trained to be a social activist. That is in that manual and they've taken that out. The rest of the manual is pervasively still about social justice and is about holding the kids back, the gifted and talented kids back. Now, if a lot of parents, if a lot of Silicon Valley executives, if, uh, you know, if a lot of math teachers in colleges and universities say to the governor, say to the State Board of Education, what are you doing not letting our talented kids go forward, learn what they, whatever they are able to? It might be reversed, but you know, it's got a lot of steam behind it, uh, behind it right now. It has a lot of steam behind it right now, and it's, it'll be difficult to, to stop it. Well, all of this is uh, fascinating, and I want to thank you for highlighting this issue and bringing it to public attention, because this is the kind of thing that can happen in the back rooms of our bureaucracies with nobody paying attention. Uh, but you've, you've opened a door and a window, and uh, so thank you very much for your contribution, Bill. Uh, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you for having me, Paul. I've been speaking with Williamson Evers, an expert on math education policy and a senior fellow at the Independent Institute. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.